Welcome to this week in nephrology, your filtered medical journal summary. Looking to stay up to date with the latest medical research but short on time? This week in nephrology has you covered. Our AI-powered podcast provides you with a convenient, on-the-go solution to keep you informed about the most significant developments in the nephrology field. Hi, this week in nephrology, we will be discussing articles published in October issues of the nephrology journals. First we will be going over articles in the Journal of the American Society of Nephrology. Safety and Preliminary Efficacy of Mesenchymal Stromal Cell Orb Cell M, Therapy in Diabetic Kidney Disease, a Randomized Clinical Trial, Nefstrom Background. Systemic therapy with mesenchymal stromal cells may target maladaptive processes involved in diabetic kidney disease progression. However, clinical translation of this approach has been limited. Methods The novel stromal cell therapy for diabetic kidney disease, Nefstrom, study, a randomized, placebo-controlled phase 1b-2a trial, assesses safety, tolerability, and preliminary efficacy of next-generation bone marrow-derived, anti-CD362 selected, allogeneic mesenchymal stromal cells, or cell M, in adults with type 2 diabetes and progressive diabetic kidney disease. This first, Lowest dose cohort of 16 participants at three European sites was randomized, 3 to 1, to receive intravenous infusion of orb cell M, 80 times 10 6 cells, N equals 12, or placebo, N equals 4, and was followed for 18 months. Results At baseline, all participants were negative for anti-HLA antibodies and the measured GFR, MGFR, and estimated GFR were comparable between groups. The intervention was safe and well-tolerated. One placebo-treated participant had a quickly resolved infusion reaction, bronchospasm, with no subsequent treatment-related serious adverse events. Two orb cell M recipients died during follow-up of causes deemed unrelated to the trial intervention, one recipient developed low-level anti-HLA antibodies. The median annual rate of kidney function decline after orb cell M therapy compared with placebo did not differ by MGFR but was significantly lower by EFR estimated by the Chronic Kidney Disease Epidemiology Collaboration and Modification of Diet and Renal Disease Equations. Immunologic profiling provided evidence of preservation of circulating regulatory T-cells, lower natural killer T-cells, and stabilization of inflammatory monocyte subsets in those receiving the cell therapy compared with placebo. Conclusions Findings indicate safety and tolerability of intravenous orb cell M cell therapy in the trial's lowest dose cohort. The rate of decline in EFR, but not MGFR, over 18 months was significantly lower among those receiving cell therapy compared with placebo. Further studies will be needed to determine the therapy's effect on CKD progression. Next we will be going over articles in the Clinical Journal of the American Society of Nephrology. Early Risk Stratification for Natural Disease Course in Fabry Patients Using Plasma Globotrosylsphingosine Levels Background Fabry disease is a very heterogeneous X-linked lysosomal storage disease. Disease manifestations in the kidneys, heart, and brain vary greatly, even between patients of the same sex and with the same disease classification, classical or non-classical. A biomarker with a strong association with the development of disease manifestations is needed to determine the need for Fabry-specific treatment and appropriate frequency of follow-up because clinical manifestations of the disorder may take decennia to develop. Methods We investigated the levels of plasma lyso-GB3 levels over time and its association with disease manifestations and disease course in 237 untreated patients with Fabry disease, median age 42 years, 38% male, using linear mixed-effect models. Results Lyso-GB3 levels are stable over time in plasma of untreated patients with Fabry disease. Higher levels of lyso-GB3 were associated with steeper decline in EGFR, P equals 0.05, and a faster increase in albuminuria, measured as the urinary albumin to creatinine ratio, P less than 0.001, left ventricular mass, measured on echocardiography, P less than 0.001, left atrial volume index, P equals 0.003, and Fasica's score, P equals 0.003. In addition, regardless of age, 
higher LISO GB3 levels were associated with higher relative wall thickness, P less than 0.001, and unfavorable functional markers on echocardiography, including septal mitral annular early diastolic velocity, E, P less than 0.001, and the ratio of early transmitral velocity, E to E, E slash E, P equals 0.001. Conclusions In an individual patient with Fabry disease, the plasma lyso GB3 level reached a specific level in early childhood which, in the absence of Fabry-specific treatment, remained stable throughout life. The level of lyso GB3 in untreated patients was associated with nearly all Fabry-specific disease manifestations, regardless of the sex of the patient. Stakeholder perspectives on factors related to deprescribing potentially inappropriate medications in older adults receiving dialysis. Background Potentially inappropriate medications, or medications that generally carry more risk of harm than benefit in older adults, are commonly prescribed to older adults receiving dialysis. Deprescribing, a systematic approach to reducing or stopping a medication, is a potential solution to limit potentially inappropriate medications use. Our objective was to identify clinicians and patient perspectives on factors related to deprescribing to inform design of a deprescribing program for dialysis clinics. Methods We conducted rapid qualitative analysis of semi-structured interviews and focus groups with clinicians, dialysis clinicians, primary care providers and pharmacists, and patients, adults receiving hemodialysis aged 65 years or older and those aged 55 to 64 years who were pre-frail or frail from March 2019 to December 2020. Results We interviewed 76 participants, 53 clinicians, 8 focus groups and 11 interviews, and 23 patients. Among clinicians, 24 worked in dialysis clinics, 18 worked in primary care, and 11 were pharmacists. Among patients, 13, 56%, were aged 65 years or older, 14, 61%, were black race, and 16, 70% reported taking at least one potentially inappropriate medication. We identified four themes and corresponding subthemes of contextual factors related to deprescribing potentially inappropriate medications. 1. System-level barriers to deprescribing, limited electronic medical record interoperability, time constraints and competing priorities. 2. Undefined co-management among clinicians, unclear role delineation, clinician caution about prescriber boundaries. 3. Limited knowledge about potentially inappropriate medications, knowledge limitations among clinicians and patients, and, 4. Patients prioritize symptom control over potential harm, clinicians expect resistance to deprescribing, patient weigh risks and benefits. Conclusions Challenges to integration of deprescribing into dialysis clinics included siloed health systems, time constraints, co-management behaviors, and clinician and patient knowledge and attitudes toward deprescribing. Next article from JAMA. Cefepime versus Piperacillin Tazobactam in adults hospitalized with acute infection The ACORN randomized clinical trial. Objective to determine whether the choice between cefepime and Piperacillin Tazobactam affects the risks of acute kidney injury or neurological dysfunction. Design, setting, and participants The antibiotic choice on renal outcomes, ACORN, Randomized clinical trial compared cefepime versus piperacillin tazobactam in adults for whom a clinician initiated an order for antipsudomonal antibiotics within 12 hours of presentation to the hospital in the emergency department or medical intensive care unit at an academic medical center in the U.S. between November 10, 2021, and October 7, 2022. The final date of follow-up was November 4, 2022. Interventions patients were randomized in a 1 to 1 ratio to cefepime or piperacillin tazobactam. Main outcomes and measures the primary outcome was the highest stage of acute kidney injury or death by day 14, measured on a 5 level ordinal scale ranging from no acute kidney injury to death. The two secondary outcomes were the incidence of major adverse kidney events at day 14 and the number of days alive and free of delirium and coma within 14 days. Results There were 2,511 patients included in the primary analysis, 
median age, 58 years, IQR, 43 to 69 years, 42.7% were female, 16.3% were non-Hispanic black, 5.4% were Hispanic, 94.7% were enrolled in the emergency department, and 77.2% were receiving vancomycin at enrollment. The highest stage of acute kidney injury or death was not significantly different between the cefepime group and the piperacillin tazobactam group. There were 85 patients, and equals 1,214, 7.0%, in the cefepime group with stage 3 acute kidney injury and 92, 7.6%, who died versus 97 patients, and equals 1,297, 7.5%, in the piperacillin tazobactam group with stage 3 acute kidney injury and 78, 6.0%, who died, odds ratio, 0.95, 95% C, 0.80 to 1.13, P equals 0.56. The incidence of major adverse kidney events at day 14 did not differ between groups, 124 patients, 10.2%, in the cefepime group versus 114 patients, 8.8%, in the piperacillin tazobactam group, absolute difference, 1.4%, 95% C, minus 1.0% to 3.8%. Patients in the cefepime group experienced fewer days alive and free of delirium and coma within 14 days, mean, SD, 11.9, 4.6, days versus 12.2, 4.3, days in the piperacillin tazobactam group, odds ratio, 0.79, 95% C, 0.65 to 0.95. Conclusions and relevance among hospitalized adults in this randomized clinical trial, treatment with piperacillin tazobactam did not increase the incidence of acute kidney injury or death. Treatment with cefepime resulted in more neurological dysfunction. Next we will be going over articles in the nephrology dialysis transplantation. Comparable outcomes between a combination of peritoneal dialysis with once-weekly hemodialysis and thrice-weekly hemodialysis, a prospective cohort study. Background Outcomes of a combination of peritoneal dialysis, PD, and once-weekly hemodialysis, PD plus HD, have not been extensively studied. Methods this prospective cohort study using the Japanese Society for Dialysis Therapy Renal Data Registry included those who transitioned from PD to PD plus HD therapy or thrice weekly HD from 2011 to 2018. Exposure was PD plus HD therapy compared with thrice weekly HD. The outcome was time to all cause or cause specific death. Associations between PD plus HD therapy and outcomes were examined by Cox regression. Sensitivity analyzes were performed by propensity score, PS, matching, PS matching with a shared frailty model in which dialysis facilities were treated as a random effect, inverse probability weighting, IPW, PS adjustment, PS stratification, competing risk regression and on treatment analyzes in which data were censored at the transition to thrice weekly HD for those on PD plus HD therapy. Results During the study period, 1,001 subjects transitioned to PD plus HD therapy and 2031 to thrice weekly HD. During a median follow-up of 3.5 years, 575 subjects died. All cause, cardiovascular, congestive heart failure related or infection related mortality were not significantly different between those on PD plus HD and those on thrice weekly HD, hazard ratio 0.95, 95% confidence interval 0.78 to 
The effect of microparticle curcumin on chronic kidney disease progression, the MPAC-CKD randomized clinical trial. Background Curcumin is a commonly used herbal supplement with anti-inflammatory and anti-fibrotic properties. Animal studies and small human trials suggest that curcumin reduces albuminuria in patients with chronic kidney disease, CKD. Microparticle curcumin is a new, more bioavailable formulation of curcumin. Methods To determine whether microparticle curcumin versus placebo slows the progression of albuminuric CKD we conducted a randomized, double-blind, placebo-controlled trial with six-month follow-up. We included adults with albuminuria, a random urine albumin to creatinine ratio greater than 30 mg slash mole, 265 mg g, or a 24-hour urine collection with more than 300 mg of protein, and an estimated glomerular filtration rate, EGFR, between 15 and 60 ml per minute slash 1.73 square meters within the three months before randomization. We randomly allocated participants one-to-one to receive microparticle curcumin capsules, 90 mg slash day, or matching placebo for six months. After randomization, the co-primary outcomes were the changes in albuminuria and the EGFR. Results We enrolled 533 participants, but 4,265 participants in the curcumin group and 15,268 in the placebo group withdrew consent or became ineligible. The six-month change in albuminuria did not differ significantly between the curcumin and placebo groups, geometric mean ratio 0.94, 97.5% confidence interval, C, 0.82 to 1.08, P equals 0.32. Similarly, the six-month change in EGFR did not differ between groups, mean between group difference minus 0.22 milliliters per minute slash 1.73 square meters, 97.5% C minus 1.38 to 0.95, P equals 0.68. Conclusions 90 mg of microparticle curcumin daily did not slow the progression of albuminuric CKD over 6 months. Next we will be going over articles in the Kidney International. Sodium glucose co-transporter 2 inhibition increases epidermal growth factor expression and improves outcomes in patients with type 2 diabetes. Underlying molecular mechanisms of the kidney protective effects of sodium glucose co-transporter 2, SGLT2, inhibitors are not fully elucidated. Therefore, we studied the association between urinary epidermal growth factor, UAC, a mitogenic factor involved in kidney repair, and kidney outcomes in patients with type 2 diabetes, T2D. The underlying molecular mechanisms of the SGLT2 inhibitor canagliflozin on EGF using single-cell RNA sequencing from kidney tissue were examined. Urinary EGF to creatinine ratio, UH-CR, was measured in 3,521 CA Nagliflozin Cardiovascular Assessment Study, Canvas, participants at baseline and week 52. Associations of UH-CR with kidney outcome were assessed using multivariable adjusted Cox regression models. Single-cell RNA sequencing was performed using protocol kidney biopsy tissue from 10 young patients with T2D on SGLT2I, 6 patients with T2D on standard care only, and 6 healthy controls, HCs. In Canvas, each doubling in baseline UH-CR was associated with a 12%, 95% confidence interval 1 to 22, decreased risk of kidney outcome. UH-CR decreased after 52 weeks with placebo and remained stable with canagliflozin, between group difference plus 7.3%, 2.0 to 12.8. In young persons with T2D, EGF-MRNA was primarily expressed in the thick ascending loop of Henel. Expression in biopsies from T2D without SGLT2 I was significantly lower compared to HCs, whereas treatment with SGLT2 I increased EGF levels closer to the healthy state. In young persons with T2D without SGLT2 I, endothelin 1 emerged as a key regulator of the EGF co-expression network. SGLT2 I treatment was associated with a shift towards normal EGF expression. Thus, decreased UAF represents increased risk of kidney disease progression in patients with T2D. 
Canicle flows an increased kidney tissue expression of EGF and was associated with a downstream signaling cascade linked to tubular repair and reversal of tubular injury. Next we will be going over articles in the American Journal of Kidney Diseases. Kidney transplantation from hepatitis C virus infected donors to uninfected recipients, a systematic review for the Catigo 2022 Hepatitis C Clinical Practice Guideline Update. Rationale and Objective Direct Acting Antiviral, DAA, Treatment of Hepatitis C Virus, HCV, Infection in Patients with Chronic Kidney Disease, CKD, has made transplantation of kidneys from HCV-infected donors to uninfected recipients, D plus R minus, feasible. To facilitate an update to the 2018 CATIGO guideline for patients with CKD and HCV, we conducted a systematic review of HCV D plus R minus kidney transplantation coupled with DAA treatment. Study Design Systematic Review and Meta-Analysis Setting and Study Populations we included studies of HCVD plus R minus kidney transplantations that used any DAA protocol. Selection criteria for studies. Based on a search of PubMed, Embase, Cochrane, Sinal, and clinicaltrials.gov through February 1, 2022, conferences from 2019 to 2021, and the 2018 CATIGO HCV guideline, we identified single group D plus R minus or comparative studies of D plus R minus versus D minus R minus kidney transplantation. Data extraction. Conducted in SRDR plus with review by a second researcher. Analytical approach. Maximum likelihood meta-analyzes, the certainty of evidence was assessed per grade, grading of recommendations assessment, development and evaluation. Results. We identified 16 studies, N equals 557. A sustained viral response at 12 weeks after treatment, SVR12, was observed in 97.7%, 95% C, 96.3% to 98.8%. Ultra-short duration treatment, less than or equal to 8 days, resulted in viremia requiring standard course DAA treatment in some patients, all of whom achieved SVR12 after one or rarely two DAA courses. Serious adverse events from DAA treatment were rare after D plus R minus transplantation, 0.4%, 95% C, 0.1% to 2.8%. At greater than or equal to one year after D plus R minus transplantation, recipient death occurred in 2.1%, 95% C, 0.9 to 3.7, and allograft survival was 97.6%, 95% C, 95.7% to 98.9%. Estimated glomerular filtration rate one year after transplantation ranged from 46 to 74 milliliter per minute slash 1.73 and 2. Limitations. Analyzes were generally based on low certainty evidence. Uncertainty exists about the long-term safety and efficacy of D plus R minus transplantation. Few studies investigated ultra-short treatment courses. Conclusions. Kidney transplantation from HCV-infected donors to uninfected recipients followed by DAA treatment appears to be safe and associated with excellent one-year clinical outcomes. Acute declines in estimated GFR and blood pressure target trials and risk of adverse outcomes. Rationale and Objective Acute decreases in glomerular filtration rate GFR, occur commonly during intensive blood pressure BP, lowering. Our objective was to determine the relationship between acute decreases in estimated GFR and patient outcomes. Study Design Retrospective Observational Study Setting and Participants Participants from four randomized controlled trials of intensive BP lowering in chronic kidney disease, modification of diet and renal disease study, African-American Study of Kidney Disease and Hypertension, Systolic Blood Pressure Intervention Trial, and Action to Control Cardiovascular Risk in Diabetes Trial. Exposure A4 category exposure defined by the level of acute decrease in estimated GFR, defined as greater than 15% versus less than or equal to 15% between baseline and month 4, 
and the randomization to intensive versus usual BP control. Outcomes Risk of kidney replacement therapy, primary outcome, defined as the need for dialysis or transplant except in the action to control cardiovascular risk in diabetes trial, which defined its kidney outcome as a composite occurrence of serum creatinine concentration greater than 3.3 mg dl, kidney failure, or kidney replacement therapy. Analytical approach. Multivariable Cox models. Results. We included 4,473 individuals randomly assigned to intensive versus usual BP control who had a total of 351 kidney outcomes and 304 deaths during median follow-up durations of 22 and 24 months, respectively. Approximately 14% of participants exhibited an acute decrease in EGFR, 11.0% in the usual BP treatment arm and 17.8% in the intensive BP treatment arm. In adjusted models, compared with a less than or equal to 15% eq for decrease in the usual BP arm, a less than or equal to 15% eq for decrease in the intensive BP control arm was associated with lower risk of the kidney outcome, HR, 0.75, 95% C, 0.57 to 0.98. In contrast, a greater than 15% decrease in ECRA was associated with a higher risk of the kidney outcome in the usual, HR, 2.47, 95% C, 1.80 to 3.38, and intensive BP treatment arms, HR, 1.99, 95% C, 1.45 to 2.73, compared with a less than or equal to 15% decrease in the usual BP arm. Limitations Observational study, residual confounding. Conclusions Decreases in EGFR of greater than 15% in the usual and intensive BP treatment arms were associated with a higher risk of kidney outcomes compared with a less than or equal to 15% decrease in the usual BP arm and may be a harbinger of adverse outcomes. Next we will be going over articles in the Clinical Kidney Journal. 24-hour proteinuria levels are associated with adverse pregnancy outcomes among women with CKD. Background Proteinuria is commonly measured to assess the renal status of chronic kidney disease, CKD, patients before the 20th week of gestation during pregnancy. High levels of proteinuria have been associated with adverse pregnancy outcomes. However, researchers have not clearly determined what baseline proteinuria levels would be associated with adverse pregnancy outcomes. This study aimed to analyze associations between proteinuria levels and adverse pregnancy outcomes among CKD patients treated with or without steroid-slash-immunosuppressive therapy in early pregnancy. Methods This retrospective study included the clinical information of 557 pregnant patients with CKD from January 1, 2009 to December 31, 2021. A multivariable logistic regression analysis was conducted to evaluate the risk of adverse pregnancy outcomes across various proteinuria ranges, which were further stratified by whether the patients were receiving steroid-slash-immunosuppressive therapy. Results I. Proteinuria was assessed on 24-hour urine collection. The median, quartile, baseline proteinuria levels were 0.83 grams, 0.20, 1.92, and 0.25 grams, 0.06, 0.80, in the steroid-slash-immunosuppressive therapy and therapy-free groups, respectively. 2. CKD patients with adverse pregnancy outcomes had significantly higher proteinuria levels in the first trimester than patients without adverse pregnancy outcomes. 3. The risk of adverse pregnancy outcomes increased with increasing baseline proteinuria levels, p less than 0.001. 4. And the early pregnancy steroid-slash-immunosuppressive therapy group, the risk of severe preeclampsia was higher in patients with higher baseline proteinuria levels, v less than 0.007, odds ratio or 30.86 for proteinuria greater than or equal to 5.00 g-24 hours. In the therapy-free group, the risks of severe preeclampsia, very low birth weight infants, Early preterm birth and fetal neonatal death were higher in patients with higher baseline proteinuria levels, or 53.16 for proteinuria greater than or equal to 5.00 g/24 hours, 
or 37.83 for proteinuria greater than or equal to 5.00 g slash 24 hours, or 15.30 for proteinuria greater than or equal to 5.00 g slash 24 hours, and or 18.83 for proteinuria greater than or equal to 5.00 g slash 24 hours, respectively, p less than 0.001, p less than 0.001, p less than 0.001 and p equals 0.006, respectively. Conclusions As shown in the present study, a baseline 24-hour proteinuria level greater than 1.00 grams was associated with adverse maternal outcomes. Furthermore, a 24-hour proteinuria level greater than 2.00 grams increased the incidence of adverse fetal events among CKD patients. Critically ill patients with acute kidney injury, clinical determinants and postmortem histology. Background. Acute kidney injury, AKI, requiring renal replacement therapy, RRT, in the intensive care unit, ICU, portends a poor prognosis. We aim to better characterize predictors of survival and the mechanism of kidney failure in these patients. Methods. This was a retrospective observational study using clinical and radiological electronic health records, analyzed by univariable and multivariable binary logistic regression. Histopathological examination of postmortem renal tissue was performed. Results Among 157 patients with Aki requiring RRT, higher serum creatinine at RRT initiation associated with increased ICU survival, odds ratio or 0.33, 95% confidence interval, C, 0.17 to 0.62, P equals 0.001. However, muscle mass, a marker of frailty, interacted with creatinine, P equals 0.02, and superseded creatinine as a predictor of survival, or 0.26, 95% C, 0.08 to 0.82, P equals 0.02. Achieving lower cumulative fluid balance, milliliter slash kg, Predicted ICU survival, or 1.01, 95% C 1.00 to 1.01, P less than 0.001, as supported by sensitivity analyzes showing improved ICU survival with the use of furosemide, or 0.40, 95% C 0.18 to 0.87, P equals 0.02, and increasing net ultrafiltration, or 0.97, 95% C 0.95 to 0.99, P equals 0.02. A urine output of greater than 500 milliliters slash 24 hours strongly predicted successful liberation from RRT, or 0.125, 95% C 0.05 to 0.35, P less than 0.001. Postmortem reports were available for 32 patients, clinically unrecognized renal findings were described in 6 patients, one of whom had interstitial nephritis. Experimental staining of renal tissue from patients with sepsis-associated Aki, S. Aki, showed glomerular loss of synaptopidin, P equals 0.02. Conclusions Confounding of creatinine by muscle mass undermines its use as a marker of Aki severity in clinical studies. Volume management and urine output are key determinants of outcome. Loss of synaptopidin implicates glomerular injury in the pathogenesis of S. Aki. Next we will be going over articles in the hypertension ACC is height 2.7 appropriate for indexation of left ventricular mass in healthy adolescents? The importance of sex differences. Background. Left ventricular mass, LVM, is an important predictor of cardiovascular risk. In adolescents, LVM is commonly indexed to height 2.7, although some evidence suggests that this may not fully account for sex differences. Methods We investigated appropriate allometric scaling of LVM to height, total lean mass and body surface area, in a UK birth cohort of 2039 healthy adolescents, 17 plus or minus 1 years. Allometric relationships were determined by linear regression stratified by sex, following log transformation of x and y variables, log y equals a plus b times log x, b is the allometric exponent. Results 
Log, LVM, showed linear relationships with log height and log lean mass. Biased estimates of slope resulted when the sexes were pooled. The exponents were lower than the conventional estimate of 2.7 for males, mean, 95% C equals 1.66, 1.30 to 2.03, and females, 1.58, 1.27 to 1.90. When LVM was indexed to lean mass, the exponent was 1.16, 1.05 to 1.26, for males and 1.07, 0.97 to 1.16, for females. When LVM was indexed at estimated body surface area, the exponent was 1.53, 1.40 to 1.66, for males and 1.34, 1.24 to 1.45, for females. Conclusions Allometric exponents derived from pooled data, including men and women without adjustment for sex were biased, possibly due to sex differences in body composition. We suggest that when assessing LVM, clinicians should consider body size, body composition, sex, and age. Our observations may also have implications for the identification of young individuals with cardiac hypertrophy. Next we will be going over articles in the American Journal of Hypertension. Observational and Genetic Evidence for Bidirectional Effects Between Red Blood Cell Traits and Diastolic Blood Pressure Background Previous studies have found associations of red blood cell, RBC, traits, hemoglobin and RBC count, with blood pressure, whether these associations are causal is unknown. Methods we performed cross-sectional analyses in the Lifelines cohort study, N equals 167,785. Additionally, we performed bidirectional two-sample Mendelian randomization, MISTER, analyzes to explore the causal effect of the two traits on systolic, SBP, and diastolic blood pressure, DBP, using genetic instrumental variables regarding hemoglobin and NRBC identified in UK Biobank. N equals 350,475, and International Consortium of Blood Pressure Studies for SBP and DBP, N equals 757,601. Results In cross-sectional analyses, we observed positive associations with hypertension and blood pressure for both hemoglobin, odds ratio or, equals 1.18, 95% confidence interval, C, 1.16 to 1.20 for hypertension, B equals 0.11, 95% C, 0.11 to 0.12 for SBP, B equals 0.11, 95% C, 0.10 to 0.11 for DBP, all per SD and RBC, or equals 1.14, 95% C, 1.12 to 1.16 for hypertension, B equals 0.11, 95% C, 0.10 to 0.12 for SBP, B equals 0.08, 95% C, 0.08 to 0.09 for DBP, all per SD. Mr. Analyzes suggested that higher hemoglobin and RBC cause higher DBP, inverse variance weighted B equals 0.11, 95% C, 0.07 to 0.16 for hemoglobin, B equals 0.07, 95% C, 0.04 to 0.10 for RBC, all per SD. Reverse Mr. Analyzes, all per SD, suggested causal effects of DBP on both hemoglobin, B equals 0.06, 95% C, 0.03 to 0.09 and RBC, B equals 0.08, 95% C, 0.04 to 0.11. No significant effects on SBP were found. Conclusions Our results suggest bidirectional causal relationships of hemoglobin and RBC with DBP, but not with SBP. Next we will be going over articles in the transplantation. Performance and Advancement of the Kidney Solid Organ Response Test Background The Kidney Solid Organ Response Test, XORT, has been investigated for the prediction of acute rejection in kidney transplant recipients with conflicting results. 
We aim to investigate if the XORTIS-A score is associated with rejection or immune quiescence. Methods The blinded association between rejection and XORT greater than 9 were investigated. Optimization of XORT prediction was evaluated after unblinding to determine the optimal prediction cutoff value of XORT score. Additionally, the predictive capability of the XORT gene set was assessed using blinded normalized gene expression data from microarray, affymetrics, and qPCR assays. Results Of the 95 blood samples analyzed, 18 patients had blood samples before transplant, 77 patients after transplant and 71 had clinically indicated biopsies of which 15 biopsies showed acute rejection and 16 showed chronic active antibody-mediated rejection. When 31 patients with rejection were compared to the remaining 64 patients, positive predictive value, PPV, was 54.29% and negative predictive value, NPV, was 75% when stratified using a XORT score greater than 9, and PPV was 57.89% and NPV was 78.95% when stratified using a XORT score greater than 5. Using the XORT assay for detection of rejection showed an area under the curve value of 0.71. Microarray data improved prediction accuracy with PPV of 53% and NPV of 84% compared to qPCR results, PPV and NPV were 36% and 66%, respectively. Conclusions The XORT assay has the potential to be used as a predictive tool for active rejection and or immune quiescence, but additional studies will be useful in improving and refining the XORT assay, in particular the prediction algorithm. Next we will be going over articles in the American Journal of Transplantation. Ciplitzumab combination therapy with belatacept or abatacept broadly inhibits human T-cell reactivity in vitro. Combined antigen-specific T-cell receptor stimulation and cost stimulation are needed for complete T-cell activation. Belatacept and abatacept are non-depleting fusion proteins blocking CD28-B7 cost stimulation, whereas ciplitzumab is a depleting antic 2 immunoglobulin G1 monoclonal antibody targeting CD2-CD58 cost stimulation. Herein, the effect of ciplitzumab combination therapy with abatacept or belatacept on T-cell alari activity in mixed lymphocyte reactions was investigated. In contrast to monotherapy, the combination of ciplitzumab with belatacept or abatacept induced near-complete suppression of T-cell proliferation and increased the potency of ciplitzumab-mediated T-cell inhibition. Furthermore, dual targeting of CD2 and CD28 cost stimulation enhanced the selective depletion of memory T cells compared with monotherapy. Although ciplitzumab monotherapy leads to significant regulatory T cell enrichment, high doses of cytotoxic T lymphocyte-associated antigen 4 and a human one FC fragment in the combination therapy reduced this effect. These results support the clinical evaluation of dual cost stimulation blockade, combining ciplitzumab with abatacept or belatacept for the prophylaxis of organ transplant rejection and improvement of long-term outcomes following transplantation. Ongoing investigative research will elucidate when other forms of ciplitzumab-based dual-cost stimulatory blockade may be able to induce similarly strong inhibition of T-cell activation although still allowing for enrichment of regulatory T-cells. Next we will be discussing Kidney International Report article. Changes in Kidney Function Among Malaysian Adolescents and Its Determinants Introduction The health and well-being of adolescents are often neglected, including the knowledge of chronic kidney disease, CKD, especially in its early stages. Methods a total of 607 adolescents were recruited from the Malaysian Health and Adolescents Longitudinal Research Team, My Heart, Study, a prospective cohort study conducted from March 2012 to May 2016 that explored the noncommunicable diseases, NCDs, risk factors among 13 to 17 years old students in three states of peninsular Malaysia. Students who participated in all three data collection periods in 2012, 2014, and 2016 with kidney function assessment across all three time points were included in the current study. The students' estimated glomerular filtration rate, ECFR, 
was calculated from isotope dilution mass spectrometry traceable Schwartz's equation and categorized based on kidney disease, improving global outcomes, KDGO, classification. Changes in kidney function were examined, and the longitudinal relationship between ECFR and multiple NCD risk factors was analyzed using the generalized estimating equation, GEE. Results The prevalence of decreased ECFR, 60 to 89 milliliters per minute per 1.73 square meters, among the students increased from 6.1%, 2012, to 30.0%, 2014 and 40.2%, 2016. Based on the G, the students' E for decreased over time, with a steeper decline during early to mid-adolescence. Males and rural students had lower E for compared to their counterparts. Students who are morbidly obese had lower E for than those with normal body mass index BMI. Protein consumption also has a potential moderating effect on E for in adolescence. Conclusion Kidney function changes can be detected as early as adolescence and are likely attributable to multiple NCD risk factors. Therefore, more comprehensive prevention efforts from various stakeholders are needed to identify health issues like CKD. Considerable variability among transplant nephrologists in judging deceased donor kidney offers. Introduction Transplant clinicians may disagree on whether or not to accept a deceased donor kidney offer. We investigated the inter-observer variability between transplant nephrologists regarding organ acceptance and whether the use of a prediction model impacted their decisions. Methods We developed an observational online survey with six real-life cases of deceased donor kidneys offered to a waitlisted recipient. Per case, nephrologists were asked to estimate the risk of adverse outcome and whether they would accept the offer for this patient, or for a patient of their own choice, and how certain they felt. These questions were repeated after revealing the risk of adverse outcome, calculated by a validated prediction model. Results 60 Dutch nephrologists completed the survey. The interclass correlation coefficient of their estimated risk of adverse outcome was poor, 0.20, 95% confidence interval, C, 0.08 to 0.62. Inter-observer agreement of the decision on whether or not to accept the kidney offer was also poor, Fleiss Kappa 0.13, 95% C 0.129 to 0.130. The acceptance rate before and after providing the outcome of the prediction model was significantly influenced in two of six cases. Acceptance rates varied considerably among transplant centers. Conclusion In this study, the estimated risk of adverse outcome and subsequent decision to accept a suboptimal donor kidney varied greatly among transplant nephrologists. The use of a prediction model could influence this decision and may enhance nephrologists' certainty about their decision. Diagnosis of kidney diseases of unknown etiology through biopsy genetic analysis. Introduction Previous studies have suggested that genetic kidney diseases in adults are often overlooked, representing up to 10% of all cases of chronic kidney disease, CKD. We present data obtained from exome sequencing, S, analysis of patients with biopsy-proven undetermined kidney disease, UKD. Methods S was proposed during routine clinical care in patients with UKD from January 2020 to December 2021. We used in silico custom kidney genes panel analysis to detect pathological variations using American College of Medical Genetics guidelines in 52 patients with biopsy-proven UKD with histological finding reassessment. Results We detected 12 monogenic renal disorders in 21, 40.4%, patients. The most common diagnoses were collagenopathies, 821, 38.1%, COL4A3 and COL4A4 accounting for 80% of these diagnoses, and ciliopathies, 521, 23.8%. The diagnostic yield of S was higher in female patients and patients with a family history of kidney disease, 57.1% and 71%, respectively. Clinical nephropathy categories matched with the final genetic diagnoses in 72.7% of cases, 
whereas histological renal lesions matched with the final diagnoses in 92.3% of cases. The genetics diagnoses and histopathological findings were in complete agreement for both glomerular and tubulointerstitial cases. Interstitial inflammation without tubulitis was only observed in tubulopathies or ciliopathies. Isolated CKD, CKD with proteinuria or hematuria, and isolated proteinuria or hematuria yielded the highest diagnostic yields, 54.6%, 52.6%, and 42.9%, respectively. Conclusion As done in patients with biopsy-proven UKD should be considered as a first-line tool for CKD patients with a family history of kidney disease. Combination of S and kidney biopsy may have major impacts on kidney disease ontology. Black patients equally benefit from renal genetics evaluation but substantial barriers in access exist. Introduction Genetic testing is increasingly accessible to patients with kidney diseases. Racial disparities in renal genetics evaluations have not been investigated. Methods A cohort of patients evaluated by the Cleveland Clinic Renal Genetics Clinic, RGC, from January 2019 to March 2022 was analyzed. Results 48 black patients, including 27, 56.3%, males, median age 34, 22 to 49, years and 232 white patients, including 76, 32.8%, males, median age 35, 21 to 53, years, were evaluated. Black patients were more likely to have end-stage kidney disease, ESKD, at the time of referral compared with white patients, 23% versus 7.3%, P equals 0.004, more likely to be covered by Medicaid, 46% versus 15%, P less than 0.001, and less likely to be covered by private insurance, 35% versus 66%, P less than 0.001. Black patients were more likely to no-show to scheduled appointments or not submit specimens for genetic testing compared with white patients, 24.1% versus 6.7%, P equals 0.0005. Genetic testing was completed in 35 black patients. Of these, 37% had a positive result with 9 unique monogenic disorders and 1 chromosomal disorder diagnosed. 69% of black patients with positive results received a new diagnosis or a change in diagnosis. Of these, 44% received a significant change in disease management. No differences in diagnostic yield and implications of management were noted between black and white patients. Conclusion Black patients equally benefit from renal genetics evaluation, but barriers to access exist. Steps must be taken to ensure equitable and early access for all patients. Further studies investigating specific interventions to improve access are needed. Thank you for listening to This Week in Nephrology, your filtered medical journal summary. Have a great week ahead. Stay blessed and be humane.